This podcast is brought to you by Electric Power Systems. EPS is a leading provider of high-power, scalable powertrains that are certifiable for electrified aviation. It develops energy storage systems, DC fast charging stations, and electric propulsion products for aerospace, defense, automotive, marine, and industrial traction industries. All right, everybody, welcome to today's podcast of the Aviation Renaissance with Spencer and Spencer. Today's guest is Craig Walker, Senior Manager Director of MPI Programs, and he can explain what that is. He is also our procurement extraordinaire. Craig. Well, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate uh, being part of the podcast. And yes, I'm Senior Director of NPI Programs. So, you know, what does that mean? Yeah, what so, does what, it mean? What, I, I get lost <laughs> yeah. by the end of that title. You know, you get to programs and you lost me. So. so, NPI stands for New Product Introduction. And so, any type of new products that are being introduced um, to the company. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's something that would be considered developmental. Okay. And so, it's not anything that we've built before. It is something that is unique with a, we unique customers. Mm-hmm. So uh, what we'll do is uh, I basically touch almost all parts of the company. So I first right. start off with the BD team. I start off with you guys. Right, right. And we talk about, okay, um, what have you committed us to? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, we caused a lot of trouble in that regard. Oh, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so then what we talk about are what are the major milestones right. that we need to hit? and um, how similar is this project to some of the other projects that we've worked. Mm-hmm. So we, we make sure that we, uh, our kickoff meeting includes the BD team, engineering, manufacturing engineering, procurement, quality, manufacturing on the floor, mm-hmm. and um, sometimes finance. They'll go and support that as well. And so what we do is we'll talk about the phases of the program. And so, of course, you, know, you take your requirements that you receive from your customer, and those go over in engineering. And then engineering tells me how long it takes them to put their design together. And so, and when they, uh, we would have a bill of material, that would then go out to the procurement group. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I put together a chart, and it um, kind of puts out all the major milestones, whether it's from engineering and how they release their design, the bomb goes to the buyers, uh, buyers figure out as far as how long it would take for the parts to come in. Manufacturing then gets their t- time to go and build up the modules. Then we go into test, figure out how much time they need for that. And then it goes for uh, ID and package quality inspection and so forth, and then out the door. And we look at all of those aspects of, of a new product from the very beginning until the day that it leaves the company. You make it sound so simple. You know, he just explained a lifetime process with the actuality of what new product introductions look like. <laughs> well, and it's it's interesting because it's very much like buying. And, yeah. and I, yeah. I've had over 30 years of buying experience. And so, you know, one of the things I enjoyed about procurement is that you do talk with engineering, a customer, suppliers, manufacturing, quality. You touch all of those areas and legal. Um, But even though we're involved with all of them, we're the master of nothing. Mm -hmm. Our job 
Just to make sell sure. yourself short, Craig. <laughs> you are a master at what you do. Our procurement department was in sore need of help until you showed up. Showed up. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, it really, it, it's different. MPI buying is so different than what people would think of traditional buying. You know, a lot of times people will work from companies and they're already into the machine. Right, they've been buying widgets for X amount of time, and they're looking for maybe process improvements or you know how they can work a strategy for you know how um, they're working with X Y Z supplier now, but they're looking to maybe move over to a different source because there might be some other advantages for us. Um, NPI, you're dealing with something that's never been built before, and so you're having to go and be close with the engineers, be close with the suppliers, try to figure out what the art of the possibility is. You know, and there's been times when I've worked on projects where we weren't sure if that end product was going to fly. We just, but we were going to take our best shot at it. Mm -hmm. And so we, um, we just made sure that everything, we'd met all the technical requirements and then we worked with the suppliers, made sure they understood everything. And then we just made sure that we communicated with each other. So I know you were a Boeing before this. That's correct. And you were there for 30-something years. 36 years. 36 years. 36. So let's go back in time to young Craig Walker. Way back. Way back. <laughs> Just a couple years, I you know. Maybe all of your schoolwork work was done on stone tablet. <laughs> yes, right. In the caves. Yes. Rode the dinosaurs to work. Did you know at a young age that uh, you wanted to go into the aerospace industry? I did. Um, my father worked for Boeing. And okay. so my father was involved with the design of um, the Dash 8, uh, which is you know 707. Yeah. He was very much involved with the design of the 787, or 747, I'm sorry. And so uh, he basically designed their um, air conditioning system for them. And so, you know, when I was a little kid, we used to go up to the Boeing plant, go through the factory and everything, see these giant planes. We went to air shows. We went to a lot of this. And so, you know, aerospace, you could say, was part of my life from very early on. Mm -hmm. So just for our listeners, um, Boeing, and, and some of them may not be familiar with it, Boeing has plants all over the country. Yes, they do. Um, you have you always been in Washington, in the Washington plants? Mainly. Um, so I've been. I've spent most of my. So all of my career, I've been based out of Washington. Sure. Um, but I have been to South Carolina, where mm -hmm. the seven eight seven program is now. I've been to St. Louis many many times because that's where the military, many of the military programs, are stationed out of now. Uh, so I've been, and I've been to Mesa. So. In Philadelphia. So yes, I have been to most of the major sites. <laughs> right. He just keeps naming cities. Yeah. What kind of education did you get to, uh, to get your foot in the door at Boeing? So I'm a Husky, uh, University of Washington. Go dogs. Go dogs. So, <laughs> yep. Um, got a degree in economics and speech communication. I double majored in a Bachelor of Arts degree. And it, what's interesting is that the, the business side was the econ. Mm -hmm. But the degree, part of the degree that I used the most was speech communication, the art of public speaking. That's fascinating because uh, 
we when we talked to Mike Armstrong, he said one of the best things that he got out of his PhD program was being able to communicate clearly and concisely with, with people. It's important. I agree with him. Well, he said that you could be the smartest person in the world, but if you didn't know how to communicate it, nobody cared. That's exactly and right. That's, that seems to be the truth. And I'm quite honest, when I was in college, I had a problem. I could not give a five-minute speech without using um and uh, you know, and it was bad. It was really bad. Um, I actually, my first speech class at the university, I had the record in the class for the most vocal pauses in a five-minute speech. Whoa. I don't know if that's a record you should be proud of. I was going to say, in the fact that No, you I figured that. I could only go up from there. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. And since then, I, I believe I have improved immensely in being able to communicate. One of the secrets to this is actually to slow down. Let there be a pause. Let people think about what you just said. You know, so you were actually ahead of the curve with your most pauses then in your in your Well, except class. those pauses were, they were noises that came uh, out that I would use. And usually it's a sign of nerves. And so a person would do that as they're thinking about what should I say? What should I say? I've got something on. I need to make sure it sounds intelligent, you know, that type of thing. But what's coming out of their mouth is, um, uh, uh, you know. So. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> So you're familiar with the old Husky Stadium when you'd watch it on TV and the fans would start cheering, the TV would start shaking, you know, the cameras would shake and everything. Yeah. And how do you feel about the new stadium? Have you been to it? Many times. It's pretty awesome. I love Husky Stadium, especially with that open end towards Lake Washington. Yep. Um, someday I would like to know someone who has a boat and commute to the game by boat. Yeah. And then be able to go, and they have dinghies that come out and meet you on your, they're essentially yachts uh, that come to the stadium. And then they have dinghies that take you out to the docks and then out to the stadium. That would be great Going fun. Going to the game by boat. Yes. <laughs> you don't hear awesome. that very frequently. <laughs> now, the one thing, I'm not sure if you guys know, but um, the University of Washington was the place where they created the wave. Yes. So if you ever really? saw where people would go along and they'd stand up and they'd raise their arms and then go down and create this wave, mm. we that originated at Husky Stadium. And I believe it was in the 80s Well, uh, when that happened. It's a while ago. It was a while ago. Okay. <laughs> so you graduate UW. Yes. Do you go immediately to work at Boeing? No. No. So I... It was a difficult time. So I graduated in 1983. And there... I was four, by the way. You're four. <laughs> <laughs> we won't talk about my age. <laughs> <laughs> there, it was at, at a downturn. And so there were not that many jobs. Mm -hmm. um, so I actually took the summer off. Um, I ended up going to Japan for the summer. And I previously was a sensei for children where I taught them how to play the organ. So my mom, where we lived, um, there was a bank called Sumitomo Bank. Mm -hmm. They would send their um, young leaders over for training and the families got to come over as well. And so my mom had a business where she would go and teach the wives English and I would teach their children how to play the organ. 
And oh. at that time, electronic organ was a very popular instrument. So we had kind of a dual business going on. Yeah. And so I became friends with about five families in Japan. So they kept saying, come to Japan. We want to show you our country after you've shown us yours. And so I said, all right, let's do it. And so um, I spent, after I graduated, there weren't any jobs. So I decided to spend the summer in Japan. I had wow. a wonderful time. Foot pedals and all? Foot pedals and all. How I know we have another organist in our organization. We do? Yes. Who's that? Kyler Hendrickson. Really? Yes, he plays the organ. Fantastic. Yeah. So how long were you in Japan for that summer? Was it one month, three months, I six months? I left then... in June and I came back in August. Mm. I basically went um, around Honshu, um, which is the main island, and mainly on the eastern side. I did a complete circle of Kyushu, which is the southern island, and then I went up to Hokkaido and visited as far north as Sapporo and had a fascinating time. So They make good beer. Yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you can find a local. Yeah, you can. Takara Sushi. I've been there. Yeah. Mm. So you have your summer sabbatical mm -hmm. in Japan. In Japan. Came back. I uh, said, okay, I need to go and get a job now. So I ended, up, I ended up finding an opportunity at, a, at Nordstrom's. Nordstrom. Oh, this story keeps getting better. And so in Nordstrom, you know, it originated in Seattle. Mm -hmm. um, I actually grew up with the Nordstrom boys. So Blake, um, Blake and I went to college together. He also got a degree in economics. Great leader for the company. Unfortunately, he passed away recently. Mm. Um, Peter. Uh, is another one of the leaders in the company, and I went to high school with these guys. And so, you know, the great young men, just really good people. Uh, ended up working there in an area called Sales Audit. Did that for a while. The highlight for that was I was in a department of 30 employees, mm -hmm. uh, 28 young women, two guys. Huh. And uh, we thought we had died and went to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Fresh out of college, I <laughs> so it was it was an experience. And so after that, um, it was kind of a job that they hire a lot for seasonal help. And then at the beginning of the year, they kind of go down to the regular core group. Um, I ended up finding another job, actually working for a lawyer. And so I worked on a. Um, is called WHOOPS, which is Washington Public Power Supply Systems. And it was a lawsuit on the um, um, nuclear power plants that we had. And so um, I was hired, there was a lot of us that were hired by lawyers to read documents, code the documents um, for upcoming litigation. So I did that for a couple of months, ended up um, they were impressed with my work. I ended up becoming a lead of a group and um, pretty much worked for about six months in that job. It was pretty interesting being able to go and work with the lawyers and so forth. Uh, late in the fall, I ended up getting an interview with um, a person from the Boeing company. Mm -hmm. And uh, the very, let's see, in February of the next year, uh, I started my employment at Boeing. And that was in 1985. And you stayed with them for 36 years. I did. You probably got to work on some pretty interesting projects while you were there. Some fascinating projects. And so most of my experience was in the military, mm -hmm. uh, military programs. 
I worked on the F-22 fighter when it was a demonstrator. Oh. And <laughs> That's awesome. I actually have this picture at home that has uh, the F-22 in the foreground with the F-117 in the sure. background. And, you know, that plane actually, without its computer and everything, there's no way it can fly. I've seen them in the air when I was down in El Paso, Texas, and it looks like an arrowhead flying through the sky. And you're like, <laughs> how does that thing stay up? Yeah, I mean, it's it should be a lawn dart. Right. But it flies incredibly and it, you know, it avoids uh, detection of radar and everything. Um, but what's really cool is one day when they were doing flight test, we had a photograph of this uh, F-22, the YF, um, and a person that was working with the team, she saw all the test pilots standing by the plane. She had five pictures in her hands with a pen and she asked them if they would sign the pictures. Mm-hmm. And I was one of the people that was fortunate enough to get one of those original pictures. Oh wow! So that was that was really a highlight of my career uh, <laughs> oh, to man. be able to go and have something like that. I transitioned um, to another program where I was given an opportunity because they were so impressed with the leadership I had on F twenty two, where I ended up being the whole procurement department for something called Airborne Laser. And what the premise was is that we bought a 747 from commercial, we gutted it, we put a laser system in the back of the plane, <laughs> yeah. we put a, a bull, like, like a contact lens, the turret on the nose, yeah. and the prime mission for that plane was to basically fly in t- uh, friendly territory, but scan beyond the borders to see if there was any activity. If there was a theater ballistic launch from an enemy and it was going over to friendly territory, we would be able to go and sense that the the launch had happened. Then we had another uh, radar system on the top of the airplane that would have, it would go out and scan the missile, be able to determine what type of missile it was. Therefore, it knew where its fuel cell was, relay that information to the computer banks inside. And then the person, if they said, all right, we need to get rid of this missile. When they hit fire, the chemical-based generation system in the back would create energy that would go down a tube that went down through the center of the airplane, literally over the heads of the people in the command stations, through the front, it would go through an exciter, and then out the turret through that contact lens, and it would hit the missile uh, right in where the fuel cell is, peel that metal back and blow up the missile, all within a matter of seconds. When was this? Like what years? <sighs> that was in the 90s. Because that sounds so like Scientific, science fiction. Yeah. It, it actually came from, initially came from Reagan, Ronald Reagan and his initial plans. Then it, and that got changed to one of the bushes, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, and I think it was called like, brilliant stars or brilliant something and it was one of those initiatives then this is where it really took place and so we uh, demonstrated it uh, shot down three test missiles Um, but then all of a sudden Russia was no longer a threat to us Um, and China our relations were probably I would say they were improving so basically we ran out of threats 
It sounds like we need the death ray back in the sky. Yeah, can we get, can we get that? I mean, uh, so did they just, after you were done with the program, did they just park it in a hangar and say, okay, see you later? Yeah, it, it, they put it down on the boneyard. Uh, so oh. I believe it's in Arizona. Well, let's you go could get probably it. get a really good deal on it. Yeah. <laughs> get, it for, get it for $100 million as opposed to $200 million. So the more we do this, the more fascinating it is talking to the different people in the company that work and their backgrounds and their history and what it is that they have done that has all led to this point of electric power systems. Mm -hmm. When did you first hear of EP systems and, and when did you first start working with us? So later in my career, I ended up um, being given an opportunity. So I was uh, in an area called uh, Boeing Tests and Evaluation, BT&E. And I was working on um, test aircraft that we, so it was basically 737s, uh, new versions that we had. We were putting some test equipment on it uh, to make sure there were safety of flight and that we would then deliver to our customer. So I managed a team that would buy parts and so forth for test. Then uh, my manager at the time said, hey, there's a project that they're looking for someone to manage suppliers. And what the, the job is, is we have 90 days to design a drone and be able to go and go from design on paper to flight in 90 days. And we'd like to have you go manage those parts. No small task. No small task. Sounds easy. And so, <laughs> Cakewalk for Craig for Walker. For Craig Walker. So I was like, well, okay, let's go. Now, where's the engineer? Oh, well, none of them are local. All of this is being done uh, with a group called Horizon X. Oh, there it is. And so, like, huh, okay, this sounds kind of intriguing. So I went and met with the design team. And as we were looking at potential sources, uh, I just basically said, okay, I don't need a robust system. We just need throwaway parts. We just need this to last for one flight and be able to make sure this all works. So we were able to go and just uh, identify rotors and motors and you know basic structure uh, of what this drone was gonna look like. And of course it needed a power system. Well, we were talking to multiple companies about power systems and they would be like, oh, well, we've got that covered. You don't, you know, yeah, we know you have a design, you know, that's cute, but we want you guys to use our design. And it's mm -hmm. like, no, no, we, this is an area that we believe we need to own the intellectual property, and we just want someone to work with us, maybe help us along the way in some areas, but this is ours. And we heard about a company called Electric Power Systems that was in Southern California. And I believe they're located in the Phillips building, which was even more interesting because it was a little bit hard to find as we were right. trying to figure out why is this company in a building that's named after another company. So, <laughs> so we go down there to meet them, and it was interesting because there were only about three people there, and they told me at the time that well, there's actually five of us in the company right now, but we're looking to grow. <laughs> I'm like, so is this group? going to be able to go and pull this off and support us? Well, they told us that they uh, actually are building a new facility in Logan, Utah, and that uh, they would have, when we need to have the parts and everything, 
they would have the capability to go and do that for us and they will work with us in our design. So in that meeting, we started designing on the fly, so to speak. And I, and I could really see the engineers going back and forth and uh, with Mike, Mike Armstrong was really the guy who talked the most for EP Systems. And I could see where something was coming together. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay. And so Mike was just saying, well, okay, well, these are the parts I need. Boom, 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 boom. Okay, I, we've got people, we're gonna be able to go order this. And then we also kind of looked at, you know, can we help with you guys? Help you get the parts to make sure that we can support this timeline. So we actually worked together on a lot of this. Next thing you know, parts start showing up. And mm -hmm. so this was all in St. Louis. And uh, we got the motor, we ended up getting the rotors, we ended up, the structure was showing up and so forth. Fortunately, the power system did not have to be loaded onto the drone. All it needed was an umbilical cord that went to the drone and enough give to it so you could get off the ground. Mm. That was a saving grace. So we did it and when it was time to fly for score, sure enough, all those rotors started to spin and then we started put adding the juice to it and it went off the ground. Now it wasn't pretty. It kind of danced around there for a while, kind of, you, know, you could see it was a little wobbly and so forth. But at the end of the day, we passed the test. Mm -hmm. And our customer, who didn't want to be named, said, you just made it to the next phase. Now what we want you to do is do this heavy lift cargo drone that we're going to call cargo air vehicle. And we want you to go and build um, I think it was about six or seven of those for us. And then we went and started on, on the next gen battery system. And that's where we started working with the team in Logan. And so that's where I got to know more of the people. Brian Brimley uh, was someone I worked very closely with. Um, Kevin Spencer was my program manager. So uh, a lot of those guys, you know, they were the workers on the floor making sure things happened. Right. So you get CAV built, mm -hmm. you make the next phase, and then EPS kind of started branching out and having mm -hmm. other programs and, and whatnot. And then one day you're at EPS as, yeah. as a full-time employee now. Yeah. How, how did how did that happen? <laughs> how did we get from CAV to EPS? Right. Well, you know, Boeing unfortunately had a series of unfortunate events. Right. And so what I was I was supporting Horizon Next Next. I was a senior manager, um, had a good solid procurement team underneath me. And we were working on drones, we were working on artificial intelligence. We were even looking at being able to go and fly in urban environments using standard technology to be able to go and fly close to the ground but also up in the air and to be able to avoid people and buildings and vehicles and all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. It was fascinating. It was probably, it was like the dream job. It was that interesting. I'm sold. But because we had that whole organization basically lived off of company profit. Right. Because we didn't sell anything. We were developing technology that we could use, then use to spin off mm -hmm. other opportunities and so forth. Mm -hmm. But it was all based on profit. 
And suddenly Boeing went from being a very profitable company to not. So eventually uh, the program manager made a very difficult decision. He says, I, we've got to shut down Next. And so Next was really the group that was building all of the uh, drones and personal air vehicles and so forth. And we just said, we can't do this anymore. Horizon Next still lives on, um, but it's not something where they needed procurement support. Is so, that where you met Mike Duffy? That's where uh, Mike Duffy and Stephanie Wojcik, um, we were kind of like the three amigos. And so we went traveling literally around the world to go get parts for our drones. Well, now the three amigos are at, our e at EPS. Yeah, they're yes. all three at EPS. So after Next went away, I had to go find another job. And so my job ended up being managing out of production um, programs that are based on commercial platforms. So a lot of them were tankers mm. and things like that. That sounds boring. It was boring. From what you were previously <laughs> at to, you know, just some old tankers that were not producing anymore. I mean, imagine someone who most of their career was working development programs. Sure. Wondering if things were going to fly, wondering how it was all going to come together and feeding off that energy to now being, yeah, you're going to go and manage out of production old programs. <laughs> so I did it for a period of time. And I started actually even thinking about retirement. Sure. Uh, because it just wasn't enough to keep me going. Um, summer of 2021, uh, Mike Duffy had already accepted a job at EP Systems. And so I started receiving phone calls. Of course you did. <laughs> Craig, <laughs> we need you. I need to get the band back together. We need to go do this. You need to go. I, I've got a great opportunity for you. I want you to join the BD team. Okay, I've never done sales before, but I've always been on the other side of the table with contracts people. Well, I probably can do that. So we, I supported the interview and um, they went said, well, I hate to tell you this, but we actually found somebody that actually has experience in this area. Sorry, but we don't need you in that area. Right. <laughs> but the people that you interviewed with, they thought you were pretty cool. So they still want to talk with you, but they're not sure where they want to put you. <laughs> so, so we ended up having this um, interesting dance where I would meet people from the company. They would go and say, wow, great guy. Um, he seems to really care a lot about programs and making sure that we have things organized and making sure that we're able to go and implement all of these new various programs that we have. Yeah, I don't you know. What do we have for him? I'm not sure where that goes. So finally, uh, Corey Newman, I went and met with him. He's the CEO at the time for the company. In one of the interviews, something clicked and he goes, Craig, I got an idea. Uh, I'm going to put together a, uh, a job description. I'm going to get it back with you in two weeks and we're going to have a conversation. And I'm like, okay, that sounds great. So now we're talking like September of last year. He came back a few weeks later and went and said, I've got something I want you to think about. And it's called, I want you to be senior director of NPI programs. I went, cool. What is NPI? <laughs> That's what everybody <laughs> said. Back to that title. Yeah. <laughs> so then we talked about it and he says, 
many of your interviews, you talked about making sure that we're ready to go and produce the items that we're gonna go and sell to our customers. And you showed a lot of concern about engineering getting being right the first time, making sure that the bombs get out, our bill of materials get out to the buyers, making sure that they have the latest information, that they get the parts in when we need them, make sure manufacturing has all of the build schedules and all of their plans in place. He says, you've actually talked more about all of the aspects of what it takes to put this together, where we think it would be the best fit to oversee this whole new concept of new products for the company and how we can best manage it. He goes, that's what we want for you. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. Now, the negotiations were kind of funny because I started assessing how much time I would need to be in Logan. Now, I live in Seattle area. Right. Mm. Um, been married for 33 years. Would like to stay married. Uh, my wife and I actually had a, a very difficult heart-to-heart -heart conversation. And she says, you know, I don't, I, whatever we do, I just don't want it to be something that impacts our marriage. And so we talked about it. We prayed about it together. And I actually went to Corey on a Monday morning and said, you know what, Corey? I went down for an interview. You guys treated me amazingly well. You guys gave me an, uh, an opportunity of a job that would be a, a person's life dream. And he goes, Craig, where's this going? <laughs> and I said, Corey, I can't take the job. I can't because I believe I would have to be here every other week as a minimum to be able to go and learn all of the processes and the tools and the people and to be able to make sure that I did my very best for the company. And he goes, did you ask me what I thought of this position? That's very Corey Newman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And I said, well, no. And he says, let me tell you what I think it would take for you to be successful. I think you can be here one week a month and I already know how well you communicate with people. I believe that you will be fully successful with your style of communication and being here one week a month. And it was kind of interesting because when my wife and I had talked, we went and came to the agreement that the most I could offer this company would be on site one week a month. It worked out. And it's still so, working out. And it's still and working it's out. still working out. Well, uh, yeah, great comments there, Craig. We're going to go ahead and wrap this up as we're running out of time. But what are your final thoughts uh, for our listeners about EPS, about uh, you and your role that I can't even say the full title of? <laughs> what, what are your final comments? It really has been the dream job. I have had so much fun working with people that at one time, you know, I was the customer and they were you know, my supplier. But we always thought of each other as equals, as teammates. Mm -hmm. And I am enjoying the experience as far as being able to work with them side by side, working on these projects that are absolutely amazing and can't wait to be able to see our power systems in some of the most innovative aerospace products that are gonna to come to market in the next few years. And I believe that if I still have something good to offer this company, uh, that I'm going to be able to be here to be able to share my experience, uh, my knowledge, and my help to help drive this company forward. And I'm just really thankful for this opportunity. 
Well, we appreciate that, Craig. Uh, you've been a great asset just in the few months that uh, I've, I mean, Spencer's been here longer than I have seen the impact, but we appreciate you uh, being on our team. So I uh, appreciate all our listeners on the Aviation Renaissance. Please visit our website at epsenergy.com. Look for Craig Walker if he needs a new job. I definitely would work for Craig. Uh, but also click on the link tree uh, to see our social media in our next episode. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Electric Power Systems. EPS is a leading provider of high-voltage, high-power, certifiable electric power systems for high-reliability applications. Its mission is to power transportation's electric renaissance by providing smarter, safer, more reliable, lighter, and certifiable batteries.